When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 232, and today we are talking about books being released on October 29th, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hi! Hi! I'm back! It's been a while! It has. It's been a minute. Yeah. So. But I'm excited to be back and to gush about some books with you. Happy fall. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy it's fall. I'm wearing my hunter's cowl that Amanda made for me a couple years ago. I'm very excited that it's finally cold enough for that. Uh, you're, wait, what? My, my Oh, so like my Hunger Games, like hunter's cowl sweater thingy oh. that Amanda made for me forever ago. I think you have one too, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I, have, yes. I had one made, uh, someone made me one. I found them on the internet, but then it came apart very quickly. So <gasps> made me a new one. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, because that was yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. It made me feel like super bad. Yeah, like wear it. I would like wear it over my fake leather jacket. Yeah, I, like, yes. I look like I'm out of Mad Max, yeah. which I have never seen, but I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so like it's um, it this week is Ladybug Week. I don't know if you have that in the city, but no. Um, every year, it's like a zillion ladybugs descend on the house. And everything, and so it's it's exciting, but also kind of sad because there are just crushed <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> crushed in the door, it's... crushed in your mail, like crushed under your feet. It's just it, so yeah. here right now. So this is the, the kittens' first ladybug season. Oh and boy! When do you stop calling them kittens? Because they weigh fifteen pounds each. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're going to be a year old next month, and uh, so they're very excited. There are ladybugs all over the place, uh, so they've just been running around trying to pounce on everything. Well, hopefully that will just be a lot of good luck for you for the coming year. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Uh, it happens every year. But then there's also Stink Bug Week. Which no, is like, terrible. Yeah, that's like a horrible week to pledge, I tell you. Um, <laughs> so before we start talking about books, which we are going to talk about today, um, I want to tell you about today's first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by Katie Hoffman. The pressure cooker of minor league baseball leads to major chemistry in this exhilarating, sexy, and triumphant rivals-to-lovers debut romance. Genie Nescu is the first openly trans player in professional baseball. He has nearly everything he's ever let himself dream of. That is, until Luis Estrada, Gene's former teammate and current rival, gets traded to the Beavers. Now, Gene and Louise can't manage a civil conversation off the field or a competent play on it, but in the close confines of dugout benches and roadie buses, they begrudgingly rediscover a comfortable rhythm. As the two grow closer, the tension between them turns electric and their chemistry spills past the confines of the stadium. So this is one of the first adult rom-coms published by a major publishing house centering a gay trans man by a gay trans man. It also has ADHD and anxiety representation and some joyful, heartfelt moments. Make sure to check it out. 
And thanks again to The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. And okay, so now I am so excited. Oh my goodness, I love this book so much. Um, I feel like I talked about it maybe on all the backlist as like a dealer's choice. I'm so in love with this book. It's Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. It's so good. This is Mm. one of my favorite books of the year. And I just cannot wait to tell you about it, which I'm going to do right now. Uh, It's about a young woman named Lillian. Uh, She grew up very poor with her mother, Uh, Her mother was more like her friend, not even her friend, but just kind of like, you get the sense that her mother had Lillian, is kind of upset with her own life choices, and is just kind of like, okay, you're here now, kind of watch out for yourself, and I don't have a lot of wisdom to impart, and, you know, they're more like roommates, almost, even though she's very young, Um, but Lillian is, is like a genius. She's super, super smart, and she lives in the South. Uh, She gets a scholarship to attend this prestigious girls' boarding school, so... The people that she went to school with are like, oh, you think you're better than us? And now she's going off to this ultra-rich school on a scholarship. And so the other girls who are there are like, oh, you know, look at the poor girl here, you know, with us trying to fit in. Uh, So she doesn't have a great time, except she meets a young woman named Madison. Madison is one of the very ultra-rich elite students, but they have a connection immediately. And she and Lillian become best friends, like, like, right off the bat. Like, they're just so happy to have each other. They, they're they best friends. They, they, like, love each other, basically, um, and do everything together until Madison does something and Lillian takes the rap and gets kicked out of school. And so now she has to return to her town where they're like, oh, you weren't good enough to go to the school. You have to come back and, you know, hang out with the common kids, you know. So she just doesn't have a great time. Poor Lillian. Um, so... She did take the rap for Madison. She does not see Madison again. Well, they do keep in contact. They're like pen pals. Um, she, she never sees her again. Uh, and 15 years goes by. And Lillian is like working retail jobs. She's smoking a lot of weed. She's not really doing much. She's just kind of like defeated and has never really recovered from what happened to her. Um, and out of the blue, she gets this request from Madison. Madison needs her. She has a job that she needs done. There's no one else that she can trust. She needs Lillian. And so without explaining to her what the job is, she sends a car for Lillian and Lillian agrees to go. 
She gets in this car and she goes to their home in Tennessee. Madison is now married to a Tennessee senator. She lives in a giant house. They have scads of money uh, and a young son. And, you know, she's just, she's had, she has the life. And so Lillian gets there and Madison explains to her that her husband, Jasper, uh, has two children. They're 10-year-old twins, Bessie and Roland, from his first marriage. And they don't live with, with her and Jasper, um, but... Uh, his ex-wife has died and they have no one to watch the children so they're coming to live with Madison and Jasper so she wants Lillian to be the governess for these twins and so Lillian's like okay um doesn't seem like a job that you know I'm the only person who can do it but all right and then Madison explains why she needs her um the catch is <laughs> the that they catch on fire the children uh, so when I heard about this book, someone said, you know, I'm reading the Kevin Wilson novel. Um, it's this woman who goes to be the governess for the children and they spontaneously combust. And I was like, oh, thinking like they spontaneously combust, that's it. They're gone. But actually the children have this thing that happens to them when they get anxious or upset, they burst out in flame. Like they both catch on flame, like on fire, catch on flame, catch on fire. And, uh, so it's a little alarming. And everyone around them is in danger when it happens. You know, they can set other things on fire. So she wants, uh, she wants Lillian to watch the children because it's important because Jasper is now being vetted for a higher position in the government and they need to keep the children hidden. Um, you, you know, they kind of say like, oh, for their own safety, you know, so you get the idea like if the newspapers got wind of this, you know, they would be studied and, you know, taken away from them. Um, but it's really just because, you know, they don't want to embarrass Jasper. Uh, so she needs Lillian to keep them under control and out of sight. She sets them up in the carriage house behind their mansion. And, you know, at first the kids are like, ugh. You know, the, their mother has died. Their father doesn't want to have anything to do with them, but they're there anyway. Uh, their, their younger brother gets all the attention. And, like, their father is, like, not a great person at all. Um... And so Lillian, you know, she's sort of sarcastic and she's been feeling very defeated with her life. Uh, she realizes, like, she's really into this job. Like, she can do this job. You know, like, at first the kids get really upset and they start to catch on fire, but she's learned how to, like, control them. Not even control them, but, like, ha keep it from happening. And she realizes, like, she loves these kids. This is her purpose. Um, and so she's going to take care of the children and everything is going to be okay. Um, I just, I loved this novel. It's so, like, even the whole way through, and it just feels kind of, like, warm and big-hearted and reassuring, um, and he really sticks the landing. I was worried about the ending of this book because, I'm not gonna lie, um, I love The Family Fang, which is his novel prior to this. He's had some short stories since, but, um, I didn't love the ending, and so I was concerned about the ending of this one, but he really sticks the landing, and I think that's because he never flies too high with this. And, and what I mean by that is, like, the science of why children catch on fire is not really explored. It's just accepted. It's not like he's going to, you know, give you all these details about how this could possibly happen. It's just, like, this thing that happens. Everyone is like, yeah, it happens. And so you're not going, how is this possible? It's just, like, a, a lovely story about children and this woman who was lost in her life. And I just loved it. So yeah. it's called Nothing to See Here, and it is by Kevin Wilson. Well, that sounds fantastic. I definitely maybe need to read that. I was like, oh, it's like a Victorian novel updated plus the X-Men. Like, that sounds kind <laughs> of interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, very cool. Well, while I'm using mixed media metaphors, my next or next book, my first book is sort of like a book version of a chef's table episode, but snarkier. I picked The Chef, a cook's novel by Marie Ndiaye, and it is translated by Jordan Stump. And first of all, I have to tell you how long I spent trying to figure out how to pronounce the title of this book, because it's <laughs> Chef is spelled C-H-E-F-F-E. And there's a translator's note in the front that this is a word that has recently come into use in France to signify a female chef. But I did a lot of Googling and it was inconclusive as how to say it. So I'm just going to say chef, but you will know that it's chef with an F-E on the end to signify that this is about a female chef. And that's one of the things that makes this novel so amazing is that it's about this incredible, celebrated, like, star-nominated or how awarded, however that works, uh, Michelin star-winning chef. And she comes from kind of nowhere and nothing and then works her way up to become, you know, the owner of her own restaurant. And, you know, her dishes are legendary and nobody can stop talking about the green robed lamb. And this person is doing, uh, trying to do like a profile on her clearly and is interviewing one of her former assistants. And so the whole book is told uh, by the assistant to the person interviewing him so it's all like oh you want to know this let me tell you about this like it's it's like you know that kind of sort of almost oral storytelling style and the assistant is now older and sort of living in this like vacation community and nobody really knows who he is or his connection with this you know legendary woman and he is basically like drinking and doing nothing with himself and just feeling sorry for himself because he loved the chef but she didn't love him back and he's super bitter about it and he hates her daughter and he just has all of these like incredibly snarky things to say about everyone around the chef but and then like completely idolizes her and like is positioning himself as the only one who knows her real story because she was very uh, reclusive with the media she didn't give a lot of interviews so pretty much nobody knows knows that much about her. And so he's trying to position himself as like the person who knows all of her stories. And and it, like it sort of really gradually unfolds the story of her life and how she became this amazing chef and interspersed with it are these little segments about his life. And I have to say that I was worried that I would get annoyed by him to the point where I couldn't continue reading because he's so bitter and like so like he he just you just get the sense that like a lot of his bitterness is not warranted. Like he feels like he's been done wrong, but like probably. Probably he's just kind of a jerk. And I was a little worried because sometimes that can be too much for me. But it's handled so beautifully. And the way that it intersperses these episodes as told by her assistant from the chef's life with, you know, you sort of begin to understand more about him and where he came from and how he got to the place where he is now. It's just fantastic. And it, you know, it does talk about sexism in the food industry and misogyny and these struggles that this woman had to overcome and also really I think more digs into the creative life like what does it mean to be a person who has a creative passion what does it mean to be a person who invents new recipes and who is always looking for different ways to pr 
prepare food. It really digs deep into that. And that's what I think the chef table, chef's table comparison comes in. Cause I've spent many an hour on Netflix watching those. They're just like so beautifully produced, right? And like you want to eat all of the things and you love hearing these stories about these you know, amazing artists. They're, they're artists. And that, I definitely got that feeling from this book, along with this really sort of fascinating, fascinating unspooling of the story of these two lives and how they intersected. And, you know, he's not a really reliable narrator, but I did feel like, I don't know, I feel like Andy, I just really pulled off kind of an amazing feat in the framing and structure of this book. I loved it. So I guess I'm trying to think of like who, like if you love good prose, I definitely think you should pick it up. And I think if you love foodie books, you definitely want to pick it up. And then if you've read her before, I really need to read her other books now because this one was just amazing. So yeah, I, I just can't recommended enough. It's a weird book, but a really good one. Uh, so again, that's The Chef, a cook's novel by Marie Ndi, translated by Jordan Stump. All right. I thought at the beginning there you said green robed lamb. And I was like, yeah. do you take the robe off before you, before <laughs> that's like, you eat it? That's like this dish. That's this dish that she is like, it's one of the signature dishes. And I guess it, I think it's just like the lamb is wrapped in like a green food thing. I can't remember if it's like a lettuce or like a sauce. I can't remember. But like, yes, that is what it, there's a signature dish in there called the green robed lamb that like nobody will shut up about. Oh, you did say robed. Yeah, I, I you said robed. I, I assumed you said rubbed and I heard it wrong. Oh, no, oh, no, yeah. that's what it's called. Yeah, it's Doesn't super make interesting. Any more sense, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you're a foodie, you can call things whatever you want. <laughs> it's true. Um, so it turns out that I guess that I really have a genre that I love, and that is um, religious figures in space. Yes, <laughs> um, because I loved this next pick. It is nuns in space. Um, which is like the second Nuns in Space book I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one is Sisters of the Vast Black by Lena Rather. It's another fabulous Tor.com novella. Like, I just, those novellas, they're just amazing. Um, and I love this one. And it was one of those books that I started reading it. And I was just like, I'm so happy that people still have like this much imagination in them, you know, to like write things that we really haven't heard before. Um, it's so good. So it is about the sisters of the Order of St. Rita, who are aboard the ship Our Lady of Impossible Constellations. <laughs> so now, years ago, years and years ago, on Old Earth, uh, there was, they decided to send nuns into space. And, like, now Old Earth doesn't really exist anymore. There's been horrible wars and terrible things have happened. Um, and... So they don't get to go back there. But um, now there's like four systems that that you can travel uh, and the nuns are on the ship and they kind of, they don't really do a whole lot of anything. They don't save a lot of souls, really. They just basically go around from colony to colony um, performing weddings and baptisms, basically. That's all they do. Um, But, you know, it's it's in the future. It's been like many, 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 many years since our time. But, like, their future, these women, their future is still determined by a man. Like, they're still told to do, like, um, told what to do, excuse me, by the Pope and, you know, his his advisors. And so not everything has changed. 
Um, and so, like, the nuns aboard this ship have secrets, because that's exciting. There's the Reverend Mother, who does not speak. She only signs. Um, there's one of the nuns has a secret correspondence going on. One of the nuns doesn't really have any faith, but she's there because she wanted to escape her life. Um, they're, they're also really good at science. Um, they, they are performing all kinds of experiments, a couple of them, uh, to try and eradicate this horrible, horrible plague that has been hitting a lot of the colonies, which does really terrible things to you. Um, and it's also dangerous for them. Like, they're a ship of women of various ages. Uh, they are getting called, you know, to go to colonies and, and do things, but occasionally, because they're not the only ship out there doing this, you know, they, a, a ship of nuns will arrive at a colony, but it's been a trick. You know, the people on the, the planet want their ship, they want their supplies, they want everything, and it, and it turns out really badly. So they don't, you know, know what they're getting into each time they receive a call. And at the beginning of the book, they've been called to this colony to perform three weddings and a baptism, which sounds like a sequel to four weddings and a funeral. Um, <laughs> but, so the, they're headed there, and as they're headed there, they're discussing uh, something, they're trying to settle an issue. Uh, it has to do with their ship. They are aboard a living ship. Uh, it has skin and breath and heartbeat. Or actually, I think I'm making that up about the breath. Um, they have a heartbeat and a and a pulse, and it, it's it's alive. Uh, and so it turns out that these ships were created in a lab by a nun many years ago, um, just like anything else. Like they were they were bred with other things, and until you get this little ship and it's born, and now like ships grow up and they have eggs. And then, like, hundreds of eggs, and then of those hundreds of eggs, like, four or five of them are good enough to be ships to send out into space. It's all, it's, like, hilarious. I love it. And um, so their problem right now is that their ship has imprinted on a passing ship and wants to mate. And so they don't know what to do. And the ship is getting, a, like, it's following orders and it's doing what they want, but it's getting a little sassy. It's going a little faster than they want it to, you know, because it, it wants to find its mate now. It wants to go back and find that other ship. And so they're trying to decide, like, do they let the ship mate? Um, they're, they're talking about, like, livestock. If, if the ship was a cow, you know, they had bred it, you know, for reasons, and you would let the cow breed, so they should let the ship breed. Whereas some of the nuns are saying, like, it, it was consecrated according to their religion, so to let the ship mate would be a mark on their souls. You know, so they're trying to decide, like, the fate of their ship and go about their business. And towards the end, you know, something's going to happen, you know, that is going to decide that not just their fate, but the fate of the galaxy. They're going to find out some devious things that are going on um, not so far away and make decisions. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's like hard. It's hard to tell you the plot of a book that's like a hundred something pages. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it, but I just loved it. It was really great. So it is called Sisters of the Vast Black, and it's by Lena Rather. Oh, I was like, what's happening now? Right. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's all excited to hear about your next book. Um, but first, we're gonna hear about our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him, unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate 
or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be. Right? Right, girl. Like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, got to go on on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so now we're going to hear about our next book. Yes, and my next pick is my nonfiction pick. I always tried when I was on the show more regularly and when I come back as a visitor to get a good wide range of things if possible. And it's always a nice excuse to read nonfiction for me, which I almost never get to for the most part. Uh, So I picked Fifth Son, A New History of the Aztecs by Camilla Townsend. And I like, I guess I should preface with, I was history major in college. I love history. I just don't get to read it very often anymore. And I was really excited to see this because I've been reading more and more fiction that's inspired by Maya or Aztec legends. And I was just like, oh, finally I can like know what maybe more of the actual history is because my, you know, American 1980s elementary school education was not super good on the colonization of Latin and South America. And also... My high school and college were also not any good at that. So I feel like I don't actually know anything. Uh, and I was really excited to see this. And I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm not done yet. I'm taking it kind of slow, both because I think that especially historical nonfiction of this kind benefits, you know, you can absorb a little bit more if you don't race through it. Um, but it's really accessibly written. I appreciate that because, you know, sometimes these books are, you know, especially when they're by a university press, and this is from Oxford University Press, uh, it is a little more academic. And she's a, Camilla Townsend is a solid historian. And, but she's writing, I think, in a way that's very accessible. And I love that what she's doing here is using primary source material from people who were alive right before and then during the, um, Spanish invasion of the Aztec Empire. It's 
fascinating. Oh, it's so interesting. And she's giving us a look into the lives of, you know, women and children and priests and warriors and the royalty and all of these different people in all of these different walks of life. There was one section that was all about a musician coming to court from a, you know, farther away village and all about the political power struggles. Let me tell you, there is some like Game of Thrones level shenanigans going on in here. Like if you love to read about royalty behaving badly, you're going to want to pick this up. There's so much going on here. It's so interesting. It's so sad oftentimes um, and really, you know, paints this very dynamic picture of what it was like in the 1500s. And, you know, Camilla Townsend is, as far as I am aware, not herself of um Indigenous descent, but um, she, you know, in a foreword, she explains that she takes her job as a historian very seriously and that the record has been so wrong about the Aztecs for so long that, you know, the previous, a lot of previous works were entirely based on, you know, the the records of the Spanish, which is obviously not going to be very accurate or unbiased. Um, and so she's really working to, you know, give voice to the actual Indigenous people who experienced that invasion and what their and really portray what their lives were like in their own words as much as possible. So she it feels to me like she's doing her homework. Obviously, I can't speak to it um, directly, but that's what it feels like to me. And I just yeah, I'm learning so much. And it's so fascinating. And I'm really enjoying it. And it reminded me of like, remember when Cleopatra by Stacey Schiff came out and suddenly like everybody cared about history again? Yes. I would, or like The Witches, that was her other book, um, which was a giant tome. Uh, but yeah, I feel like, I feel like I want this one to have that kind of moment. Like, this is a civilization that's so interesting and contains so many interesting peoples. Like, they weren't really all one monolithic people. Um, so the Aztecs is just a handy way to refer to the people of this geographic region and of this time period. But they had, you know, multiple cultures and and ethnicities going on underneath that. And there's just so, it's such a rich history. And I'm so excited to finally be learning more about it. And it also feels, because as any good history, it has like a source, you know, bibliography in the back. I'm really excited to see if I can't get my hands on any of that actual primary source material and like read the original stuff somewhere, hopefully somewhere that's available. So yeah, I'm super enjoying it. And if you would like to feel like you're learning lots of new things about a civilization that has been really neglected and, you know, has been also misrepresented for a very long time, then I definitely recommend this. So again, that's Fifth Son, A New History of the Aztecs by Camilla Townsend. And I'm just now realizing I'm pretty sure it's out as of the airing of this episode, but then there's a different pub date. It looks like maybe it changed a little bit. So I apologize in advance if it's not immediately available, but it should be available soon. Yeah, I think it's up. I think it's out November first. So yeah, not, it came up <laughs> when I was doing my original search. It came up as available for the week yeah. of this show's publication. So whoops. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who I've knows? been like, I've been like pulling my hair out because um, I love uh, Susan Laurie Parks, who mm. is a Pulitzer-winning playwright and novelist. She has a new book that was supposed to come out in I think it was April, and then it got pushed to the fall, and then it got pushed to this month and now it's pushed to next month and I'm just oh like, my goodness ah. so I keep adding it to like the newsletter being like yay and it's like nope it didn't actually happen <laughs> <It's> like, ah. <laughs> 
who knows? It happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that people listening have other things to read. If that oh, is the case. that's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Although, who knows? Like, when you want a book, you want a book. Yeah. Every day, I'm like, did the mail come? Did the mail come? Right. You know, my boyfriend's like, don't you have things to read? Like, you want what's in the mail now? So, who knows? Um, but speaking of political intrigue and Game of Thrones-like action, uh, my next pick is a fabulous North African-inspired YA fantasy novel called A River of Royal Blood. It's book number one. It's by Amanda Joy. It's a bit like like Children of Blood and Bone with some Three Dark Crowns thrown in, which are mm. both books that I enjoyed very much. Although I haven't read the last book in the Three Dark Crowns series, which leads me to believe I should do that. Also, the, the new Children of Blood and Bone book is coming out soon. Oh, yeah. And I think the first week of December, so that's exciting. Um, but this one is about uh, sisters. There is Princess Eva. Uh, when she is born, she is born with the magic of blood and marrow, which is a magic that has not been seen for eight generations, is a very dangerous magic, and can lead to nothing good, uh, because the last of the royalty to have this magic was Queen Reyna, and this is in the Empire of Meyer, and uh, Reyna had this magic and basically felled the governing agency and killed thousands of people, uh, including her sister, um, so now you have this new age where it's, it's like, bummer for everyone else. Basically, you have to kill your sister every generation, um, which is kind of like where Three Dark Crowns comes in. Uh, so Eva has an older sister named Issa, and she knows that, like, someday she's going to have to battle her to the death. And that day is coming. Eva is now 16, um, and she's grown up with Issa, but, you know, now they're going to have to fight. Um and so, but then before they have this battle, an assassin tries to end Eva's life. And she realizes that, like, she's in danger. Um, you know, is it, is it, you know, who's behind it? Like, does Issa, you know, not want to have to fight her? So she's trying to get rid of her this way? Like, or is, is it someone else? Um, so she seeks the help of a fae mage to learn how to grow her magic. Because her whole life she's been told that... Her magic is bad, and she should be ashamed of it, and she knows that, like, it's caused no good, so... But now, you know, that's it. All She's pulling out the stops. You know, she's gonna learn how to fight. But, like, does she want to fight her sister? She's trying to decide, like, would it be better to let her sister, you know, rule, or does she want, you know, to do it herself? Um, so... It's got some, you know, things that you see in a lot of these books. There's, you know, battling your sibling for the, for the throne... Um, you know, uh, royalty in disguise. It seems like there's that in every book, you know, like where they dress up to go out among the common people. Yeah. Um, but it, there was a lot new, at least to me, in what I've read. Uh, like I found the magic and the political system to be very different, uh, and I really enjoyed that. Um, I was really into the world building, and it, it's very dark, you know, like most YA fantasies these days. It is very dark. <laughs> And um, cover your ears if you don't want to hear a spoiler. Well, it's not really a spoiler, but it could be. So cover your ears for a second. Uh, it does end in a cliffhanger. So um, there is that if you're you know, thinking about reading it you, and you don't like to wait. Um, but it, I highly recommend it. I can't wait to see what happens next. It is A River of Royal Blood by Amanda Joy. Nice. I had my eye on that one, so I'm glad to hear about it. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, okay, my next pick is a graphic novel. 
It is Ascender Volume 1, The Haunted Galaxy, which is by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn, uh, who is the illustrator. And they have worked together on a bunch of things, including Ascender, which is a different graphic novel series about robots. And I have read uh, maybe one or two issues of Ascender. Oh, no, wait, let me take that back. I have read one or two issues of Descender, which is the preceding storyline. And this is sort of a sequel in that it takes place in the same universe, but it takes place 10 years after the end of the Descender storyline. And like things are very different. It's not about robots. It's about magic and vampires. So, you know, new territory for this creative team. And I did not need, I mean, the characters will be, some of the characters will be familiar to you if you've been reading Descender, but if you haven't, like, you'll be totally fine. It was totally fine that I didn't know any of these people in advance. Uh, and it, it centers around, uh, Mila, who is the young daughter of a couple from the Descender series. But again, you don't need to know that. Um, and she is like, they, she lives off in the middle of nowhere with just her dad. And she basically like roams around the world, but she has to stay hidden because this world is ruled in part by these like powerful vampires and there's a, a witch known as Mother who is really creepy and disturbing Ooh, and has like creepy and disturbing minions and is very violent and she, you know, rules all of these different planets and on this planet, you know, the vampires are like the enforcers and so they're trying to stay out of the radar of that. And then, of course, that never works out, right? Like, trying to stay off the grid never works out. Uh, and one day, also, a robot dog, like, lands in Mila's backyard, basically. So now she has a surprise robot dog. And I want a surprise van- robot dog. Right? We should all get a surprise robot dog, I feel like. That would just be great. Um, but yeah, so then they get found, and they have to go on the run, and terrible things start to happen. And it's really intense. It is a really interesting world, because it does have both you know, technology and magic and a new take on vampires. And it is, like I said, kind of like pretty creepy. I was trying to think about like, okay, if I was going to line this up next to Saga, for example, by Brian K. Vaughan, excuse me, by Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples, like how would it compare? And they're very similar in that the worlds feel really real and really like lived in and kind of like grimy in places and absolutely, you know, gritty and, and, and realistic in that sense. But I think this one is maybe even a little bit darker than Saga, which is saying something because Saga gets pretty emotionally dark, but it doesn't have as much of a horror feel as some of the sequences in Ascender have. So a little bit more horror-y, which is pretty good for October, right? Like if that's the kind of thing that you're into. Yeah. And yeah, scrappy young heroine. Um, like I said, though, it gets dark. So, you know, be prepared for to be really upset about some things that happen. Um, but I just I I love this team so much. I love the work they do, despite not being like 100% up on all of it. And Nguyen's art is so beautiful. Oh my gosh, it's so stunning. And Jeff Lemire has had such an interesting career so far. I feel like he does so many different things. Like he just, his work, when you all line it up, you're like, he's just always playing with something new. And I really appreciate seeing an artist's career grow and change in that way. So yeah, I think this is a really interesting start to the new series. I'm going to try my best to follow it, although sometimes I have a harder time with graphic 
graphic novels and, and comic collections than others. But if that sounds interesting to you, again, that's Ascender Volume 1, The Haunted Galaxy by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. I'm very excited about this because it gives me occasion to uh, drop a link to one of my very favorite songs, which is Tiny Vampire Robot by Margo and the the Nuclear So-and-Sos, which I have dropped in your Slack for you to listen to later. It's a great song. Oh, exciting. Um, Yes. Uh, So my last pick um, is, well, first of all, trigger warnings for terrible things. It's a a thriller. It's a murder mystery. Um, You know, it discusses uh, some real cases in in our U.S. true crime history. Uh, So if you're sensitive to violence against children um, or violence against anyone, you might want to skip it. Um, but it is, it's almost Halloween, and I thought it would be, like, a fun pick. Uh, it's called White Elephant. And now I looked up the author's last name, how to pronounce it. I just read it last night, so um, I did not have time to get it from the publisher. I'm not sure how you say it. So this is how the internet is telling me you say it. It's Trish Arneu, which is spelled H-A-R-N-E-T-I-A-U-X. I'm very sorry if that's not how you pronounce it. That is what the internet says. But it seems like a big fake out because you're not saying a lot of the letters. <laughs> but I'm going to believe the internet for, for now. Um, so it is a, it is like a light and silly and terrifying, well, not terrifying, but like, you know, a thriller. It's just, it's not that scary, but um, it's fun. It, so it takes place in Aspen, Colorado, uh, there is a Christmas party that is going to be happening at this very prestigious mansion. Now, the party is being thrown by local realtors Claudine and Henry Calhoun. Uh, they are husband and wife. Uh, they have fallen on tough times. It is hard to be a realtor in Aspen right now and get people to buy these bazillion-dollar homes. And she's ha- Claudine is, is very sad. You know, she can't go to the same places to get her hair done that she used to. She's, like, trying to save money left and right. And things are looking pretty grim. And then she gets a phone call from Zara, like one of the biggest pop stars in the world. Like, not from her people, just like from her herself. And she can't believe it. And Zara has just gone through a breakup. And she's depressed. And she needs a change. And she wants to look at this listing that Claudine took. And now her husband didn't want her to take this listing because it's like it's an enormous mansion and it's a lot of work and she's never going to sell it. Um, but she took it, and Zara wants to look at this mansion. But the only day that she can come look at the mansion is the day that uh, Claudine was holding the staff party for, for her and her husband's business. So she says, how about we combine the two, and we have the Christmas party at the mansion while you're there? And Zara's like, yes, yes, I need to be around some people, and that sounds like fun, and let's do this. So um, now Zara is looking at places in Aspen. Um, she is sort of obsessing over her ex-boyfriend. Her ex-boyfriend is like this Marilyn Manson-type musician who is obsessed with the Jean Benet Ramsey case. Nope. And he thinks that's like the ultimate loss of innocence in, you know, in our culture. He has a giant tattoo of her on his back. He's just, he's all about it. And um, she's, so that's why she's going to look at this mansion in this, in this place. And so... Um, she does that, so like they're, they're, they're going to have this party. And now Claudine is pulling out all the stops, even though she doesn't really have the money to do this. It's like, you need to spend money to make money. If it doesn't work, if she doesn't sell this mansion, like, she's done. But she's going to, like, have this outlandish party uh, in this giant place so that she can impress Zara and she's going to want to buy the property. Um, and so every year at their at their staff party, they hold a white elephant which is, is not something I had heard of before, but it's apparently like where you're supposed to bring 
a gift, like a Yankee swap, but it's supposed to be like a really tacky gift. And somehow, in the years that they've been doing this at, at their um, staff party, it has turned into an outlandish, like, ridiculously expensive, fancy gift. And so everyone, like, tries to outdo each other with all these really expensive gifts. And so Zara shows up. They're going to have this party. You won't be surprised to know that a snowstorm is on the way. <laughs> and someone, in, in uncovering these gifts, someone, there's a statue. There's a cowboy statue. And you might be saying to yourself, well, so what? But turns out that this cowboy statue was the uh, implement that Claudine's husband used to murder someone years ago. And Claudine hid in a place and helped him cover it up. Uh, she hid the statue somewhere where she said it will never be found. And now here it is, sitting in, in this mansion at a Christmas party where they're now snowed in. And what is going on? <laughs> so they need to figure out, like, how it got there. Who knows? Like, why are they doing this to them then? There are several guests there uh, outside of their staff. Um, like, her competitor in town, plus a, like, super rich couple that lives in town. You know, so they're trying to figure out um, who did this. But, of course, it's a bunch of people snowed in in a mansion in a thriller, you know, with a murder weapon there. So not everyone is going to make it out of this party. Um, so it's kind of like Clue in the Aspens a bit. Um, it's just, it's just really fun. And if you're like looking, like if, I mean, for murder, um, if you're looking to, <laughs> you know, relax and just, and just, you know, read something that, that flies by, this is it. It is White Elephant and it is by Trish Arnau. <laughs> really fun for murder is definitely the tagline for that book going forward. <laughs> um, okay. Way less murdery uh, is my last pick, which is Full Disclosure by Cameron Garrett, which holds a really special place in my heart. I'm going to get like a little bit emotional about this. Um <laughs> Because it is about an HIV positive teenager who gets to do things like have a boyfriend and direct a play and explore her sexuality and, you know, have friendships and like be a teenager in all of her glory. And this is just really not something that exists much in any literature quite frankly, but also particularly YA and especially aimed at teenagers uh, in a not like scary, you know, way. So I I just I love this book so much. Um, I will say that the character experiences um, phobia and stigma uh, related to her HIV status and attempted blackmail. So and it's really not possible to talk about the plot without saying without talking about those things. So if that's going to be triggering for you, you're going to want to skip ahead. But just to say like how much I love this book. Okay. So Simone Garcia Hampton is the main character and she is the daughter of an interracial gay couple. She's got two dads and they are a really loving close family. Like it opens with her going to a doctor's appointment and one of her dads is with her and they are like having this really sort of great father daughter moment. But also she's like, oh my God, get out of the room. Like I'm a teenager. I don't need you to like baby me. Like let me be my own person. Uh, and that's kind of the theme of this is that, you know, she's just started over at a new 
new school because at her previous school, somebody told everybody about her HIV status and like parents were on Facebook, like talking about how they didn't want their kids to be in school next to her and, you know, how contagious is she and all of this stuff. And Simone was born with HIV because uh, her mother was HIV positive and she's adopted and there's nothing she can do about this. And, you know, this is just her life. And so it was really upsetting and frustrating for her uh, to have that response as it would be for anybody. Um, Really traumatizing. And so she started at a new school. She's made some new friends. Things are going well. And she is now the student director of Rent. And there's a guy on the stage crew who she's like very interested in, but she's trying to figure it out because her last person was a girl and like, who is she interested in? What is her sexual identity and all of that stuff? And then also, you know, trying to deal with things like... You know, having two best friends and like what they're like, you know, just the normal ups and downs of friendship. And they don't necessarily know about her HIV status yet. And so she's trying to decide if she should tell them. And then she has to think about, you know, if she wants to get closer to this guy, when's the right time to tell him? And she's facing so much of the misinformation and stigma that's out there about HIV. And so it's really complicated for her. But like you also get to see her just like I said, being like, you know, working on the school play and going out for ice cream and laughing with her friends. And it's just so lovely to see that on the page. There's so much stigma in American culture about really any STIs, sexually transmitted infections and diseases. And so many people will never talk about their status because they're so afraid of how people will respond to them, even though for the most part, like, these things, you it's not like you can just get it casually from someone else. Like, there's very specific ways these things are spread. And, like, also, it's not any, like, people are not bad if they have an STI. Like, you're not a bad person if you have HIV. Uh, you're not a bad person if you have AIDS or something else. Like, you're just a person. And this is just a thing that's part of your life. And I'm really encouraged by the fact that this novel is out and also Jonathan Van Ness's amazing memoir, Over the Top, by the way, which everybody should read. Um, I just think it's well past time that we have positive, well-rounded, three-dimensional representations uh, for people with STIs and also for people who don't have them so you can see the reality of this. It's so important and it's so wonderful. And this book is so much fun. I got so invested in this student production of Rent. Can I just tell you, like, I was really super invested (laughs) in this student production and also in her relationship. And I just loved it. And I thought it was really like a page turner and as well as being, like I said, an important piece of representation. Uh, So, yeah, super jazzed about this being out in the world. Like, teachers, put it on reading lists if you can make it happen. Like, get it for your teenagers. Get it for your friends and relatives. Like, this book is fantastic. Uh, So, again, that's Full Disclosure by Cameron Garrett. I look forward to reading that. Oh, wait, I forgot to say a thing. Okay, so (gasps) those are all of the good, happy parts. The part that I mentioned might be a trigger warning for lots of folks is that, so she's going about her business, you know, trying to direct the student play and falling for this guy on stage crew. And then she gets a note in her locker saying, I know you have HIV, and if you don't stay away from this guy, I'm going to out you. 
to everybody. And so, you know, as she's trying to be a normal teenager, she's also trying to deal with this threat hanging over her head. And I, it's, it's so sad to me that that's like probably a pretty realistic plot. Like that is not, that's, you know, the threat of disclosure, not by you is something that people do have to deal with and have to worry about. And so, um, you see her, you know, try to decide how she's going to handle that and how she's going to, you know, protect her identity and who she wants to share it with and how she wants to share it. So that's really powerful as well. But also like really stressful. That is a really stressful part of this book. Not going to lie. Okay. So now I'm done talking about it. <laughs> okay. Well, I still want to read it. Yeah. Uh, it's I so didn't good. Because you had put it down. So, but I do hope to read it soon. So those are our new picks. What are you going to read next? A new, new pick. Uh, I, I just started the other night Queen of the Concord by Case and Callender. And I'm super excited about this. Uh, Callender has written a bunch of other books, including YA and Middle Grade, but this is their first adult fantasy. And it's a Caribbean inspired world. And it's about a woman who has like mind control powers and she's trying to bring down the colonizers. And I'm super jazzed about it. I will say it starts off really intensely like it's it's pretty brutal uh in the opening like i'm talking about like uh fifth season kind of like intensely here so i'm i'm bracing myself but i'm really excited about it awesome i met them a couple weeks ago at neba and they were lovely and i'm very excited to read this book also, yeah, snake on the cover. I know it's a good snake on the cover, and they are actually a Philly author, and I'm gonna get to interview them as part of their Philly event. So I'm really excited about <gasps> that. That's cool. I know. Yeah. I feel very excited and fancy. Yeah, they also have two more books coming out next year. I think. Like, who can write that fast? I it's know. amazing. <laughs> it's, it's bananas. Um, I just got so I talked about this book uh, on the Backlist show last week. And then I got my hands on it, and I'm really excited because I am a ghoul at heart. Um, <laughs> I got my hands on Blood Countess, a Lady Slayer's novel by Lana Popovic, which is about the Countess Elizabeth Battery, um, who supposedly killed hundreds and hundreds of women and bathed in their blood so that she would stay young, um, which is a true story, supposedly, but also possibly a thing for like a power grab uh, like the Salem witches, you know, like take her land and take everything from her. Um, and maybe not actually true. So it comes out in January. I'm very excited. Um, and because I, I loved reading about her when I was in high school. I was, I was all about it. Uh, I actually wanted my first license plate to be immure because that is what happened to her. She was walled up in mm. a room in her house. Um, because again, I'm a ghoul. <laughs> um, but can I, can I tell you like one of my, most amazing author experiences. Yes. Um, that is related to this. So, uh, Andre Kudrescu, who is a, an amazing poet and a writer, he wrote a book about Elizabeth Battery. Uh, I think I read it when I was 18. It's called The Blood Countess as well. Super dirty. So dirty. <laughs> right? And I read it when I was like 18 and I was like, oh my goodness. So, <laughs> so like, I don't know, like a decade ago, I worked at the bookstore, but I also worked at this old theater. And he was doing an event there. And now, you've probably heard him on NPR. He's amazing. He sound, he's actually from Transylvania. He sounds like Dracula. And he has a great voice. And so he was doing this event, and they said, could you please take Andre under the stage, you know, up, up the back stairs? Because he couldn't go through the front for some reason. And at that point, the theater was like, had this tunnel that was like chiseled out in the bedrock under the theater. was like lit with lights, and you would like walk through it to get to the stage. 
Um, it's much fancier now, but that's how I used to take the authors through if they didn't want to go up through the crowd. So I'm like in this like poorly lit tunnel under the stage with this author that I greatly admire, but also like I'm so nervous because I'm afraid I'm going to start like giggling because he wrote this really, really dirty book. And, uh, so like we're walking through and he's not saying anything. And so finally I'm just like, so I read the blood countess (laughs) and he was like, yes. And I was like it's really dirty. <laughs> and he's like, Psh, that's nothing. He's like, read Messiah. And so I did. And he was right. Um, <laughs> that was much dirtier. But I was just like, it, I always think about him all the, like, I'm like, what a, what a amazing experience. Like you do not normally have to, like underground. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> An author that sounds like Dracula. Um, amazing. So, so uh, yeah, that's it. That reminds me, I want to go read some of his stuff now. He's so great. Um, that is all for us today. Thank you, Jen, for joining me. Thank you, thank you. Thank you to our sponsors. Um, you can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. Uh, you can find us online. Jen, do you prefer Twitter or Instagram these days? Oh, either or both, whichever is fine. Yeah. You're on Twitter. It's Jen IRL, Jen with two N's. And then on Instagram, it's... I uh, am Jen IRL. All right. Still with two N's. Yep. Um, and I mostly hang out on Facebook. No, what did I just say Facebook for? <laughs> <laughs> Don't know where that came from. I'm, I gave away my big secret. Um, <laughs> I'm actually Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, so I mostly hang out on Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. So there you go. Uh, it's Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, which we totally could do, we could talk about books for several days, uh, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. reading.